Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Wow, today's guest has a really, really especially interesting life. She is knighted. Her mother was a prisoner of war. She's involved with all kinds of causes, has had an incredible career as an actress. So many, so many interesting life experiences. Today's guest is the fabulous Jane Seymour. So lean in. I think you're going to enjoy this. I'm very, very excited to be here today with Jane Seymour, the iconic Jane Seymour uh, first off, Jane, let me apologize for my technical ineptitude. I usually am so good at getting these things dialed in, but for some reason today, you were very, very patient to sit there <laughs> and uh, wait for me to work out my knucklehead gear here. Um, I'm, as I just said to you, I'm, I'm on the road and in a hotel room, and and where are you? I mean, I'm looking at this beautiful background. I'm at home, and uh, yes, it, it's. Uh, I'm in my living room, and I think behind me is a painting of two of everything. I think I got that in Bali a million years ago, but then I had twins, so I've kept it up there. You have two of everything. Oh, that's great. So you have twins. How old are your twins? Uh, almost 28. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And how many, how many children do you have? Uh, four that I gave birth to and six that I helped raise total. Uh, very, very little known fact. My mother was a twin, uh, oh. as was as is my brother's wife. So my brother uh, Michael, who I'm in a band with, uh, uh, married a twin, and and our mom was a twin. And I'll never forget. Uh, I was a child, and I had never met my aunt, and she lived in 
in, in a ranch in California, and we grew up in the city in, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And one day, I, I woke up, and as I'm coming downstairs into the living room, I see this woman that's sitting on the couch, and it's not my mother, but it looks exactly like my mother. And nobody, wow. nobody had told me about this. Like, I didn't know anything. It totally freaked me out. Such a, Why such would a, they never tell you? That's crazy, know. isn't it? I don't know. It's just that no one, no one really warmed. I don't think anybody ever told. But this was the difference: was that uh, she had lipstick on, and my mother never wore lipstick, and that, that, and I. So I've always had this kind of um, odd sort of relationship. Boy, I've gone way too deep into this. How are you? <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. Thank, thank I'm you so well. much for being here. Um, so t tell me, where, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in uh, Merton Park. It's very close to Wimbledon. Um, I was born in Hillingdon, Middlesex. So between Merton Park and then Hillingdon, Middlesex, which is basically pretty close to the airport uh -huh. in London. Uh -huh. London, yes. And when did you come to the States? Um, I came permanently in 76. Um, I'd been out before when I'd been filming and... Uh, I had been told in England that um, I I could only play exotics. I don't know what that was all about, and that I didn't <laughs> look or sound like the girl next door. And um, a wonderful casting director in America had met me and said, "If you can come to America and lose your English accent, you'll never stop working." So I just thought, "Oh, I'll come to America," but it wasn't that easy. I didn't have a work permit. Wow. Um, I had a, a visitor's visa, and my agent uh, asked me to leave because he said it was the worst mistake of my life. And I had six weeks in which to make it, and I'm still here. Wow, that's amazing. You know, yeah. I, 1976 was a, was, a, was a big year for me because that's when I decided to pack my bags as a, as a kid in Philadelphia and go to New York and try to become an actor. And really? You yeah. too? Huh. Yeah, and um, I don't know what your feeling was, uh, a lot of people, I mean, well, you were in, you came to California, right? And and I was moved to New York. But a lot of people have said to me, well, what a terrifying time to uh, be in New York. You know, it was coming up on the Summer of Sam, and they were making all those Charles Bronson movies where, you know, everyone's, you know, New York is a terrible place to live and the whole thing. And I was like, Are you kidding? I loved it. I thought the 70s were amazing. I, I, I thought it was a great, great time. It was a little nuts, but I loved it. How was L.A. In, the, in 1976? It was pretty amazing. And uh, I found myself hanging out with um, new friends like uh, uh, Harry Nielsen and Van Dyke Parks and all these kind of amazing musicians as well. So um, I, had a, I had a really great time. And once I got my first job, then I never stopped. So that was really lucky. And, uh, and you know, my work took me everywhere. But then what happened is having moved to America, because they didn't want to hire me in England because I didn't fit what they were looking for. Pretty much every movie I did from America sent me back to England to start in the movie. <laughs> I, I mean, go figure, I had to come all the way to America to be considered American worthy to then be hired to play in an English movie in England. So I kept going back to England and playing all these wonderful classic characters in, uh, in England. What about you wasn't what they were looking for in the UK? I'm fascinated by that. Well, um, they were looking for someone that looked like the average, you know, woman next door, girl next door. And um, my accent was 
probably considered to be not colloquial enough and because they were really looking for kind of, you know, you know, someone from the other side of London who'd talk a bit like that or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the, the ridiculous thing is that I could play every accent. I used to do radio plays and everything in England. I mean, I I can do West Country. I could do anything. So when I came to America, that was just another accent. It was rather silly. But, you know, if you're English and you aren't from the East End or whatever, they wouldn't they wouldn't accept it. So I don't know. I, I think also I think there was a stigma about being, you know, in the Bond franchise. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I... I, I I went back into the theatre, did an enormous amount of theatre straight after that, and mm. um, that's that's sort of how I got over it. That and then came to America where they didn't care; they were fine about me having done that. That was not a problem. Yeah, but- so it's I mean it's so interesting. I often talk to people about how uh, y- you know the UK is is a fascinating place in the way that people uh, are so specifically defined by the way that they speak, in a way that we're not really here. I mean, you can kind of tell that somebody's from an urban place or from the East Coast, or you can kind of say, well, I think I think a lot of times we sort of lump uh, a Southern accent into one thing, whereas actually there's a lot of different kinds and all that kind of stuff. But we don't do that thing of going, yes, he's from Birmingham and he's, you know, from, he's like a working class kid from Birmingham. And yeah. I know exactly who that person is. And, and, and conversely, there's also this thing that I've noticed where people, actors sometimes who don't have, who have a more kind of posh sounding accent will sort of rough it up a little just to be legitimate because it, because you're not going to be right. really legitimate if you sound like John Gilgood, you know? Yes, no, definitely. And I mean, style of acting has changed too, but, right, um, right, right, right. Uh, but you know, I, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I know if I, if I were to become less pronounced English, um, obviously it's more acceptable. The interesting thing is that I was told that Americans, you know, when they watch film or television, don't want to hear foreign accents. They want to hear their own Americans. So I played Americans exclusively for mm. years and years and years. In fact, at one point I was, um, had lunch at, uh, uh ABC. I'd done a, a a bunch of movies and TV shows for them. And um, and they asked me if I'd like some wine. And I said, oh, I'd love a glass of white wine, please. And they said, what's with the phony British accent? Because <laughs> I realized that, you know, whenever I went up for a job or I worked, I never broke, you know, out of the American accent. So they actually thought I was an American and they were in shock. They thought I was putting on some sort of, you know, fancy, fancy noise for them. <laughs> oh, that is... That is brilliant. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Well, do, do you have a place in, in, in London any, anymore? No, no, I don't. I used to have a beautiful home um, that was over a thousand years old, oh my called gosh. St. Catherine's Court, and uh, Radiohead um, recorded OK Computer there. Oh my God, and, really? Uh, the Cure, and The Cure recorded two albums there. Uh, Johnny Cash was there, uh, John Barry. It had the best sound in England in this one room. Peter Gabriel kept trying to buy it, but I I apparently bought it before he could. He apparently used to drive past it three times a week going, I should have had that house. Huh. So I had that for 26 years. And then um, just it in, before was the it in the country? Started, it was in the country? In the country, yes, uh-huh. and near the city of Bath. So it was built in 950. So when my oh. American friends would come and they'd wake up and have breakfast in the morning and I say you are now sitting in a room that has, you know, apart from the central heating, hasn't changed since 950. 
they, they couldn't wrap their heads around the fact that this house was four times older than their country. Oh, so. my. That is just incredible. Wow. I know. Okay, so, so but I have, to, I have to dig into this a little bit. So did they did Radiohead rent it from you to, to yes. be able to work? Oh, wow. So they said, I mean, had, the, any, had people recorded there before? I mean. The Cure. The Cure, the cure before, okay. And uh, the cure of friends of radio. Okay. So they told they told them, and then apparently, according to my kids, this is my greatest claim to fame is that I owned the house and rented it so that OK Computer could could happen. That's <laughs> pretty cool, though. I mean, it's an I- iconic iconic album. Clearly, yeah. uh, did they trash the joint? No, no, they were <laughs> delightful men. Delightful. <laughs> I mean, it's really interesting. So some of them looked somewhat punky between them and the cure, but. Um, or the feedback I got was they were delightful men. Oh, okay, fine, thank you. No, that's so that's so great. Well, I love I love um, England. Uh, I I I've, I do these commercials over there, so I've ended up spending a lot of time and just for some reason shot I guess maybe three movies back back to back. And uh, it's interesting, you know, for a, a, I mean, I've lived in like I said in New York since '76 and and grew up in, in Philadelphia and London is like a really uh, super comfortable place for me to be just because I'm used to places where you have to you know take the subway and and do a lot of walking and being you know kind of surrounded by people and just kind of navigating street although the streets are a little harder to navigate I have to say yeah. uh, uh, but but I really do I, I love being there and uh, it's always it me always, too yeah me too I mean it's it's beautiful it's a fantastic country I think you know the big difference is America is vast and, and you're just every state is completely different in some ways uh-huh. and um, and in England it's sort of quirky and old and uh, and it's small it's a little island you know it, it's it's amazing you, you can just literally go down the street and everyone's speaking completely differently it's so true as you said yeah yeah it's so true okay and speaking of which you got an OBE from the Queen um, I did for those of us for us uh, American uh, uh, dummies explain to us what that is well we've heard of people being knighted sir or lord or that's the highest level um, beneath being a sir if you're a woman if you're going to be the equivalent of a sir a knighthood you get called a dame like dame Helen Merrin or dame Judy Dench mm-hmm. um, below that before you become a dame, you become an officer of the British Empire, which is what I am, and which the Beatles were at one point, or at least they were offered it. I think they might have, I don't know whether they accepted it in the end or I not. I think one did but, and um, one did it, or a couple yeah, did or so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but um, it's it's a pretty prestigious. But what's lovely about it is um, it's really for representing your country um, and serving your country, not just in what I do for a living, but also in philanthropy. So that's what I got it for, and um, so I'm very proud of it. I um, so my my actual name in England would be Jane Seymour OBE. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's, that's I my mean, title. Was that? I mean, what was? What's that like? Just as a day? I mean, I know there's you know, hey, I watch The Crown. Uh, there's got to be a lot of sort of pomp and circumstance oh. and, and a whole bunch of rules and the things you got to do and you don't do. I mean, I, I, whenever I see those situations or I read about those things, I always think to myself, I know I would mess this up. I just know <laughs> that I would do something that wasn't, wasn't right. It's actually, it's the coolest things. First of all, they tell you in secret. So 
you're not allowed to tell anyone for months. And if you do tell anyone or anyone finds out, they'll take it away from you before you you're get kidding it. kidding me. Wow. No, no. And, uh, and actually, my mentor from ballet school was, is, is um, a, a wonderful choreographer and was a, a male leading dancer in the London Festival called Ben Stevenson. He ran Houston Ballet and then Ballet Texas. Anyway, he called me up and said, guess what? I got the OBE. And I went, I couldn't tell him that I had it too. So uh, I said, Ben, are you sure you're supposed to be telling people? Like, don't, don't, don't. don't. Anyway, <laughs> randomly, funny. I ended up having, getting my OBE on exactly the same day as him. So we were there together, which was absolutely magical. And uh, at the palace, it is pomp and circumstance, but the people there are just so lovely. And they, they, you know, they make light of the whole thing and said, well, you know, you've got to learn how to bow and curtsy and you're know, good to meet the queen. You have to, you know, you, you have to walk three paces backwards afterwards and bow and, yeah. and say ma'am and all of that. So mm -hmm. they, they give you a sort of crash course in it. And, uh, but it was absolutely magical. My mother was there and I mean, she was so proud and so excited. You know, none of my family ever thought I'd ever do anything. I mean, I was a, a, a ballet dancer who was born with flat feet and a speech impediment. So the chances of me even working as a dancer was slim to none. And they were all totally against it. They used to sing, don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington, to me all the time. And I was just <laughs> oh, obsessed. Wow. I was de determined. And I, I, I actually started out as a dancer who sang Oh. And then became an actress who, you know, occasionally dances. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. Yeah. And was your friend surprised to see you there? Yes. Or, or had, well, you, had, you I, since, had you since let them know? I, I, he got to know when it was announced to the world. Okay, so right, it was, okay. the, new, it was the New Year's honors list. And then he found out and then I told him. But um, they have different dates when you go. And they, they knight people at the same time. So they do all the knighthood stuff as well. You're, you're in the same group with everybody else. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. 
Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai, if you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. You know what I'm really struck with um, talking to you is you seem to have just a tremendous amount of energy and uh, uh, um, spirit, and I mean, it's 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 as it's as though I can just kind of feel your power through this, you know, headphone and 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 computer uh, thing. And I'm wondering if, it, you know, I'm coming to the point now in my life where a lot of people around me, or also people have kind of implied to me questions about. Are you ready to start, you know, taking your foot off the gas in in whatever reason that is? And that doesn't seem to be coming from you as far as I can tell. No, actually, I would say the most amazing, well, you know, for actresses, it's usually you're pretty down at 40. Well, at 40, I got this little series called Dr. Quinn, which no one ever thought would be a series. And then now at 70, I got another series um, in Ireland called Harry Wilde. And that's taken off. In fact, her second season, I think, just starts today. But I'm, I mean, I'm just so blessed. And I also produce, I write books. I'm writing a crime novel at the moment. I'm doing my memoirs. I run, you know, philanthropy. I'm very involved in that. I'm a public speaker. Um, I'm a painter, a sculptress. I have major sculptures of open hearts going up in major cities. Um, and uh, I've become very much an advocate and talk a great deal about aging gracefully and about Alzheimer's and dementia. I made a, a documentary with Glenn Campbell uh, called I'll Be Me, all about- Yeah, by the way, I love his... that documentary. How did you happen to get involved with that? I wanted to ask you about that. Well, um, so I have four kids I gave birth to, and of the twins, one of them that we randomly called Johnny Keach after Johnny Cash, who was our very close friend, because um, he was on Dr. Quinn several times. And uh, the other one we called Chris after Chris Reeve. So Johnny turns out to become a rock musician, a great singer-songwriter. When my son was on tour, he was opening, originally he was opening for Cheap Trick when he was 15, up and down in, Euro in Europe and up and down the West Coast. And, and I was a band's worst nightmare, a Modi. What is a Modi, you may ask? It is a mother Modi. <laughs> <laughs> so what you really don't want, but you absolutely need it. He said, Mom, we can get ourselves up. We're a band. We can go. We can get up. And I said, really? And so the next morning, uh, they were not up. So I knocked on the door. 
And I said, what happened, guys? You know, you're late. And they said, the alarm didn't go off. And I said, what did you do? He said, we called the front desk. It didn't, they didn't call. And I said, why is the phone off the hook? And they said, we didn't want to be disturbed. That's why you need a mother roadie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the greatest. And if you want to hear him, he's, he's under Johnny Keach, K-E-A-C-H. And um, he was discovered at 13 by some from Warner Brothers. And the next thing we know, that producer, Julian Raymond, um, came to us one day, having worked with Johnny and his band. They were now 15 years old, maybe. And said, I've just um, finished doing Glenn Campbell's um, latest album. And uh, he's got to go on tour, but he's got Alzheimer's. And so we're worried that he can't even perform, let alone tour. Um, but somebody's got to make a movie of this, a documented. And we had made the movie Walk the Line for about Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash gave us the rights to his life. And oh, okay. We worked on it. Jim Mangold ended up directing it. but mm -hmm. And somehow my name was not on the credits, which is interesting. Probably why I'm divorced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I uh, but I we worked on that for eleven years, so they knew the Campbells knew that we could be trusted, and um, we met with Glenn, and he was hilarious. So we just thought, okay, we'll try this, and it was a most amazing experience. But it all came because of Julian Raymond, and um, it was an extraordinary experience. I mean, to this day, I'm very close to all the Campbells. I certainly learned more about Alzheimer's than you could possibly imagine. Um, the last thing to go with Glenn was his music. He could still sing and play. Of course, he'd repeat the song, so you had to kind of make sure that he didn't. Um, and at one point after we'd finished filming and, and things were really getting bad, I took him into my art studio and he'd never painted before. And I gave him a palette knife and his favorite colors and a big canvas. And he did three amazing canvases while singing Rhinestone Cowboy. Wow. And meanwhile, his wife, Kim, was at another easel, which we unfortunately didn't film, and she ended up painting a big, dark, black, gray hole because that's wow. where she was. And he was out there on, you know, all these beautiful bright blues and greens, reds, just, you know, very vibrant and lively and happy. And around him, you know, was his caregiver who was having a really rough time. What, interesting what comes out of art, you know. That is, so, it's so interesting what comes out of art, and I honestly think that uh, there's a lot to be said for just somebody that says, I, "I, I just don't, I don't paint, I don't draw, I don't do art, or I don't sculpt, or whatever it is." Just putting the putting the uh, whatever the medium is in their hands and seeing seeing what comes out. I mean, it's 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 fascinating, probably sometimes insightful and, and in, and in this case, maybe, uh, you know, therapeutic to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. I had, a, I, you know, love Glenn Campbell, you know, as a singer, as an incredible guitar player, um, kind of people don't even, a lot of people don't know that, that that was a lot of what he did was just amazing session playing. And, and if anybody hasn't seen this movie, Glenn Campbell, uh, Glenn Campbell. I'll be me. I'll be me. I'll be me. Right. It's actually interesting. When we made it, um, Glenn kept forgetting who we were, even though we were working with him every day. And one day he said, I'm doing what? He said, we're making a film like your life. He said, you are? And then he paused and he said, I'll be me. Oh, that's So that's so how we great. got the title. It came right out of his mouth. He said, oh, well, then I'll be me. Okay, great. That was it. Done and dusted. It I is a fantastic documentary. I was on a flight yeah. with him one time, uh, and, ah. and I was so excited to be on, on the airplane with him. He was kind of, you know, you could kind of see that he was sort of in and out. And I, I wasn't, we had, a, we had an exchange, um, you know, by the, by the bathroom, uh, on, on, you know, kind of passing right. by the bathroom. And, um, 
and uh, you know, he, I, I couldn't, I wasn't really sure if, if, if he recognized me or, you know, knew who I was, but he was very, very sweet, very friendly. And then uh, when we were getting off the plane, he handed me a signature pick, guitar pick. Uh, <gasps> yeah. And I was, I was, I was just, you know, it's just one of those moments. I'm never all that uh, jazzed or uh, uh, thunderstruck when I meet actors just because I've, work with actors all the time and you know but when it comes to you know sort of heroic iconic musicians uh, you know it, that always kind of hits me and and that was a that was a great moment uh meeting him. yeah yeah he was he was quite quite an interesting man and just a great spirit and obviously great musician um tell me about your art uh i mean uh, there's some there's you're doing so much there's so much to talk about uh, so you're, uh, I want to know, well, let me ask you first about the sculpture. Well, first of all, I'll just backtrack in that I could have gone to college to do art, but I was a ballet dancer and wanted to be an actress, so I didn't. And I also, at the age of 15, because my parents couldn't afford my education, let alone the ballet shoes, um, I used to uh, design and make my own clothes and embroider and knit and crochet and sell them. So I had a oh, business wow. at 15. Uh -huh. um, making making these things so by the time i turned 40 i went through a terrible divorce lost everything and literally it was you know nine million in the red the lawsuits from every major bank including the fdic and i gave the last money i had to a child abuse organization called child help and in return for an artist to do a drawing of my children because i didn't understand what bankruptcy was and um he saw my finger paintings in the house and just said oh do you paint i said not really and he gave me free lessons. So I started out with nothing but the ability to do watercolors. And so when I immediately went and did Dot Quinn, I would paint on set. You know, other people did the crossword puzzle or learned their lines. I learned my lines whilst painting watercolors. Um, and and then uh, I ended up, you know, on a, on a credit card for Discover with my paintings in the Guggenheim and then in the book and then, you know, all kinds of things. Corbell asked me to do a champagne bottle and then um and then i was asked to do a campaign for women's heart help and so obviously you draw a heart but i left the heart open i thought that's interesting and why did i do that and i thought well my mother you know who had gone through world war ii in a japanese prisoner of war camp three and a half years she was a dutch native living in indonesia had always um, told me that in life everyone has challenge and when they do the natural thing is you close off your heart and you don't let anyone know. And it's like a long playing record with a scratch in it. And it's just this story goes round and round. And you just can't get out of it. You can't move forward. He said the hardest thing to do in life is to accept the unacceptable. But if you can, and you can open up your heart and reach out to help someone else, you will have purpose. He said that is the key to happiness in life, is you have a purpose. And she said, and you've been through something. You see someone who's going down you know, that, that path, and you can help them in some way. And so I thought, well, that's like two hearts that connect. So I drew one heart and connected it to the other heart. And uh, at first I looked and I went, oh, that's like boobs in a butt. <laughs> and we all laughed. And then I went, no, actually, there's something very iconic. It's almost, it's almost like um, an infinity, but it was two hearts. So I, I, um, I, I said, you know, maybe I should trademark this. And uh, my then husband, James Keats, said, don't be ridiculous. You can't trademark hearts. I said, well, can we at least try? And he said, it costs money. And the next thing I you know, the 
lawyer comes back and says, you're not going to believe it, but Jane has actually managed to trademark something that no one's been able to do. So um, it became this image originally in watercolor, and then I turned it into sculpture, and which is really lovely because people go to um, you know, different places where the sculpture is, and they get to pose there and um, climb all over it, and um, you know, it's meaningful. How do you actually do this? Uh, how do you do sculpt? I'm always amazed. At, it's because some of some of your sculpture is very large, right? Well, what you do is you start with the small one, okay, and you and but you do you have um, a wire underneath it, um, and then you add the clay to it, and then you keep you know sculpting away till it's the way you want it. Because the interesting thing with sculpture is it has to work three dimensionally. So every time you've got it right in front of you, then you turn it slightly to the side, and suddenly you have to start all over again because it. It's misting in the wrong directions. It's much harder to do than you imagine. And I also sculpt people's faces and, you know, bodies as well. I've, I learned how to do all of it. But um, this one, once I got it right as a smaller sculpture, I then took it to a foundry and I said, I want to now do an eight-foot one. How do I do it? And so um, the, this um, sculpting guy was fantastic. He built what they call an arm armature, I think it's called. So big, a big you know, metal piece to go underneath. And mm -hmm. then the first one is done with polystyrene, you know, with that, like that stuff that you, people packing stuff, that mm -hmm. white stuff, mm -hmm. until I got that exactly right. You could sculpt that. And then he took it away and put it in what's called lost wax, which is this very heavy, very, very solid red wax. And then I came in and sculpted into that until it was right. And when that was right for me, then they take it to a foundry, they cut it into like three or four pieces, they they make a mold, they, you know, they they do it in bronze, and then they bring it back and solder it together. I didn't do any of the soldering. Um, I chose what I wanted for the finish, and then I came in and, uh, you know, finessed with the finish, and that's it. That's how you do it. Okay, so you wake up one morning, uh, any morning, random morning, and you say, okay, uh, how how are you going to break down your day between working on your novel and sculpting, <laughs> painting, learning lines, working with the foundation, uh, raising children, a family? I don't understand how that day breaks down. Okay, well, first of all, I'm very fortunate to have a, a lovely home that has enough space in it to have my art studio. I have a recording area. Um we grow all our vegetables in the garden. Um, we've got chickens, so I don't actually really have to leave the house if I didn't want to. Um, I can do a lot of it here. Um, I, you know, I, I, I obviously have appointments, so things I have to do. If I'm filming, when I was filming, I was in Ireland, so then I have to move to a tiny little house and do everything from there. And uh, <laughs> I'm a bit like you. I'm, I'm, I'm not complete. You know, I can usually break IT, anything to do with the computer. I can just look at it and it doesn't work. But today I got lucky. Um, but otherwise, I take my paints with me wherever I go. I, I write uh, wherever I am. Um, I'm working on on the memoir with someone, so I can basically tell all the stories and they'll put them in the right order and then we'll both look at it again. So I, I do it that way. Um, when I produce, um, it depends on whether I'm producing and I'm in it or not. I mean, you know what that's like. But you surround yourself with the best, so mm -hmm. yeah, you know the sure. art, the art of delegation. But at the same time, um, really being on top of it. And and I'm um, I'm a multitasker. You know, I think when you have that many children and grandchildren, and 
you do other things in life, uh, you have to be a multitasker. And I can really focus on one thing to the exclusion of everything else for a while <clears throat> and then shut it off and then go on to do something else. But uh, yeah, that's how I do it. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai, if you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. If you are inspired by today's episode, please join us in supporting 6degrees.org by texting the word BACON to 707070. Your gift empowers us to continue to produce programs that highlight the incredible work of everyday heroes, while also enabling us to provide essential resources to those that need it the most. Once again, text BACON to 707070 or visit 6degrees.org to learn more. Well, let's move on to the foundation. Um, so on top of everything else, 
you are uh, extremely philanthropic and you have the Open Hearts Foundation. And we would like to bring on Trina Pritchard, who is the director, executive director of your foundation. Um, a lot of what this, this podcast is about is being able to hang out in the first half with uh, someone like you, Jane, who is, is so uh, incredible across so many different parts of the entertainment industry and just be able to uh, connect and, and shoot the breeze. But also, we want to uh, give the microphone to the people uh, who are behind the scenes and, and running the, the uh, foundations having to do with the things that you care about. So, Trina, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, where Thank are you, you, Kevin. Where are you right now? Well, I'm actually in Jane's art gallery. Um, Jane has a beautiful art gallery in Westlake Village in California, and she donates a portion of the office space to the foundation so I can operate out of it. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I, I didn't I didn't realize that. Uh, is, yep. it, is it is it are there is it mostly your work in there, Jane, or is it a, a bunch of artists? Um, and my son, Sean M. Flynn, photography you can check him out we have some of his work there i'm hoping to put my daughter katie j j flynn in as well she's been doing really well with her photography but it's it otherwise it's pretty much mostly mine and there's a lot there awesome. a lot. and also the jewelry that i did with open hearts and also costumes from dr quinn and um, some memorabilia and also some iconic photograph photographs you know done by you know, major people of me over the years. So it's actually a really kind of fun place to visit. It's sort of the world of Jane. I, I was wondering if there were any of the, uh, you, you said you started some of the, doing the watercolor uh, during Dr. Quinn. And, and uh, do you have any of those there? Yes, I have everything going back. In fact, I've even managed to um, find uh, pieces my mother had kept from, that I did when I was 10 years old. So we go all the way back. Um, but yes, there's there's everything's there. I, I think uh, Susan Naj Lukes runs what's called Coral Canyon Publishing. She works with me and she works out of there. And I used to do about 12 woman shows all over the country in Canada every year until I was working too much as an actress and, you know, COVID and other kinds of things. But when we had COVID and with the foundation, we kept asking ourselves, you know, if we can't put on a big event, how do we raise money? And awareness. So one of the things I did is I would teach um, art to uh, people in old people's homes who were stuck and couldn't even see their relatives. And we'd wow. paint together for a couple of hours. And one time I also painted with a woman who was wheelchair bound and actually in hospice at the time. I think she had ALS. And I actually showed her how she could move one hand and the other. And she did all these amazing paintings just before she passed. Um, so we, we did a, a lot of that. So art was, I find, very healing. And it's also been a great way to raise funds for the foundation, too. So, Trina, tell us about the foundation. What, what, is, what is the work that you do? Sure. So, um, I mean, I, I, you know, we were founded by uh, Jane's mother's philosophy, if you guys have heard, um, you know, that um, in, in times of great trouble, you have to accept what's happening and do what you can. To help others and, and by doing so your heart remains open so this philosophy is really what drives the foundation's mission and it's it, it motivates us to keep going and help people every single day um, and it's over the years since we've been around we were founded in 2010 we've really become a movement of like-minded people working together for the greater good 
Um, Mika really believed that where there was adversity, there is opportunity. Um, in those um, internment camps, she really had nothing but created so much for so mm. many people and helped others. And that's the way that she was able to um, survive those conditions. And we really at the foundation identify charities like that, the, that are on the front lines that have limited resources, um, small and emerging charities. We have focused um, primarily on women and children's issues, but a lot of people that need help and we empower them through our grants and through our volunteerism effort. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, generally I find that um, well-known people will pick one sort of, uh, wow, where did those balloons come from? No idea, <laughs> not me. It's just the that's... energy that's flowing with us all. Okay. Yeah. For those okay, of you who aren't seeing really this, weird. my Zoom just had balloons go up in the background. Mine, mine, mine did too, yes. Oh, yours oh. did too? Oh, yeah. uh, God, wow. I wonder if, <laughs> I hope that isn't it's some the, kind of strange hacking. It's the energy going on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'll, well I'll, let's, yeah, let's, 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 yeah, let's call it energy. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, when, when we started uh, 6degrees.org, I was kind of, struck with so many things that I was kind of cared about and and overwhelmed with. So I, I think that in a lot of ways, it's it's a little bit easier to just pick, you know, whatever it is, the environment or, or hunger yeah. or whales or, you know what I mean? And having, there, but there are similarities between our foundations in that it's, it's, a, it's more of a... Um, kind of across the board thing and and a, and a and an idea i mean the idea of an open heart the idea of uh what your mom in that terrible situation you know discovered about life and about human beings is is the is the driving force of the, of the foundation it seems to me well, I think the real issue is I meet people all the time who say, oh, I wish I knew what to donate to. I, you know, I don't mm -hmm. really know whether they actually get the money or whether they should or how much they spend on other things. And, and so what we really are doing is, as, as Trina says, we're kind of a movement. We're kind of anyone really wants to help. They can help with $10. They can help with time They can, by, by volunteering. We have a whole volunteering program. Um, and... Uh, they can, you know, people come to us with all these different organizations. We vet them. There's thousands to go through mm. um, to find the right ones. But we do, we, we thought rather than reinventing whatever is there and being yet another, you know, cancer or Alzheimer's or heart disease or environment, we, we wanted to, to uh, fill in the gaps where there was enormous need. And the amount of money we would give them would go much further than it would anywhere else. So mm -hmm. we're kind of curating for people. So if anyone really wants to give back and wants to be part of that kind of movement and really does want to help others, they can with us. And that's what we do. And so we have we have people who donate from all over the world. We have we have kids, you know, donating. We have my my daughter Katie Flynn has got this amazing program that she's got of volunteers. Where they're not just volunteering, but they're bringing their kids, and the kids are volunteering, and they're starting up their own programs with with volunteers with the beehives. One of them's called. I mean, it's it's just marvelous. And if you think about it as a movement, and that what we are doing is curating that movement, that's what we're doing. And um, Trina's pretty much, you know, the almost the only person that is paid. 
uh, to work at our foundation. We have an incredible board of people who work so hard, don't they, Trina? I mean, yep. unpaid and literally, I mean, give so much to their time and expertise. And we couldn't do it without them. And, um, and then we have fans who've just been enormously supportive. We always have a... Um, a big event, or if, we, if it's not COVID, I think the next one is February 18th. Is that correct? February 17th, yeah. 17th. I know it's right close to my birthday. My birthday is the 15th. And, um, and that's always enormously good fun. And people literally come from all over the world for it. And, um, and then the rest of the year, we do all kinds of other uh, fundraisers. In fact, we have one coming up on October 15th, which is called Chit Chat with Mika. My mother's name is Mika. Normally, it's called Chit Chat with Kitty Cat or Chit Chat with Solitaire or Chit Chat with Michaela Quinn. And it's usually a chance for people to donate and join the Zoom. And for a couple of hours, uh, we all talk about and they ask me questions about something I played. Well, in this case, we're actually talking about my mother, who she was and other people who knew her and stories they have to tell about her and how that pertains to what we're doing with the Open Heart Foundation. And then that money will yet again go into the kitty and be... um, uh, sent to all these amazing organizations. So in order to uh, join the Zoom, then you, you donate to join the Zoom, or if you join the Zoom, then you donate yeah. afterwards. Oh, well, that's a really cool idea. I like that. I like that. Yeah, and- we we came up with that during the pandemic when we couldn't be in person and we needed to raise money. And, um, you know, Jane graciously is giving up her time and obviously her life's experiences. But this particular one is really important because it is Mika's story and Jane's story and the family story that really sort of drives us forward um, and supports um, the work that we do, the, the grants that we give. Um, you know, we've we've supported over 60 charities since we were founded, and they're all over the United States. Um, some of them are not so emerging anymore, and we're really excited about that. They've grown so much, and they're so successful that they don't need our help anymore. Um, And some we've just discovered through, as Jane said, our vetting process that we go through when we do our grant cycles. Um, And the volunteerism program is just like just beginning to take shape. And we um, had a a bunch of ideas that we were going to do with the pandemic, of course, with the the lockdown, we had to turn to virtual um, opportunities. But still, we sent cards to seniors um, isolated in senior centers all across the United States and um, we've been able to plant trees and grasses at Paramount Ranch to restore from the Woosley fires that were here in Los Angeles. Um, so there's a lot to do. I think the whole point is that everybody can do something mm-hmm. to help someone else. And by doing that, you find purpose, you keep your heart open, that sort of ripple effect keeps going. That's great. That's great. And Trina, let me ask you something. What is it that brought you to doing this kind of work? Um, I'm always fascinated when someone chooses uh, a, a life or a career path that has to do with service? Sure. So I think I've kind of always been a, a person of service. It was a big part of what my mother taught uh, my sister and I when mm-hmm. we were growing up, you know, always helping other people. She still helps people today. She's going to be 80 next year. Um, but so about 20 years ago, I decided to make a career transition. I, I didn't want to just kind of get a desk job. I wanted to actually make a difference in the world and sort of align my personal values with the work that I do from nine to five. Um, So I've been fortunate to work with a lot of small and large charities across the greater Los Angeles area. Um, You know, it's the work that actually inspires me um, and helps to keep me motivated and going. But I've been able to help um, children in public school learn through the arts. 
um, helped small theaters in Los Angeles learn how to grow their audiences. I've worked for Big Brothers Big Sisters of Greater Los Angeles. And this work um, that I've been fortunate to be a part of for the past four years has just opened my eyes to the folks that really need the help, the boots on the ground, the, the communities that just don't have food or shelter or um, clothing. Um, so I've been, um, I've really enjoyed the work we've been doing here. And how do- I mean, we deal with, with battered women. We deal with uh, children of incarcerated adults. We deal with women who've done their time and are trying to get, you know, back into the workforce. We, uh, a lot of food insecurity, huge amount. Um, what else are we dealing with? Um, <laughs> oh, foster girls, you know, coming out and, and having, having babies and not knowing, you know, how to fill in the forms or what they're entitled to or how to even take care of a child, let alone themselves. I mean, you know, things you don't think about. Um, and then, of course, you know, the carers, people who are looking after people with disabilities. And uh, when when, when uh, Christopher Reeve was around, we, we supported a wonderful organization that's doing really well now called Life Rolls On, Jesse Bellow, who, we, we, who, who takes people who just, kids who just been, become uh, paralyzed and, and you know, ties them to surfboards and brings them out with the famous surfers out out on on the surf. I mean, I, I just saw that this weekend. Wow. And, and so there's a lot of things you don't think about that make a huge, huge difference. And and one of the things that we're proud of is that we'll give you know our grant, but then locally the people go, well, that's in our neighborhood. Wow, that's really cool. And then it'll double or triple it. Mm. Yeah. So well, that's what's very cool. Yeah. The the verb in our mission is to empower. So we. We, we do provide the grant, but we also offer the opportunity for them to use our grant as a matching grant, mm. which they offer in leverage. And so they'll raise double, triple. I think the record so far is raising 13 times the amount that we've granted them um, by leveraging our grant and, um, and our organization. Um, 13 times. That's incredible. I know. I, I know. It was a, it was a um, Creighton Community Foundation in Arizona. They um, serve the Creighton Community School District and they had a food bank. This was right like in June of the pandemic. And we gave them a $15,000 grant. They wanted to go from once a month to twice a month to be giving food out to their area. And they took that $15,000 grant and they doubled it with their community. And then they took that money and they wrote a, a for a state grant and got double that. And then they went to their gala that year and they announced this whole thing and they raised i think they raised like over three hundred thousand dollars in that year that's amazing uh, so you know if that's what we're about that ripple effect and you know it's not necessarily us it's just people inspiring people to do what they can to help others and what we love is we you know if you go to openheartsfoundation.org you can literally see and identify with any of those charities and look deeper do a deeper dive it's all there and you go wow actually that's really interesting and maybe I'd like to work with them or I'd like to do something. So, you know, quite often after we've introduced people to the organization and we've given the grant, then people go directly to that organization, get involved and 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 donate in the future. So we we're kind of empowering and um and shining a, a light on and identifying and curating a way of giving back. And I think that's what we're doing to the general population is we're saying, you know, we're sort of like the good housekeeping feel of, well, they, 
the Open Hearts Foundation seal of approval. Like, you know, we, we've done due diligence. Um, this is who they are. And, you know, you may be more into cats and dogs or, you know, the climbers or whatever, but we're pretty sure you'll find something here that, you know, will mean, be meaningful to you. That's amazing. And in fact, you, you actually took the words out of my mouth because I was going to say, how can people reach out? How can people get involved? And it's openheartsfoundation.org. That's all yeah. they need to know, correct? To go there, yes. to look for uh, opportunities to donate, opportunities for volunteerism, uh, connections, whatever it is, doing a di deeper dive into all of these many uh, uh, organizations and foundations that you're supporting. Uh, that's, that's the spot. And also, they can let us know if they know of some organization we haven't come across yet that... Um, might be worthy of the you know the next uh, cycle of donations you know we're always looking to see what else there is who else you know fits fits the parameters usually what we're looking for is a connection between someone who's been through a challenge like my mother had who's taken the opportunity after that to give back and to make a difference um gone out of the way to do that so you know that's really the the thing that makes the difference in the end well that's great yeah, we're also we're also on our socials as well, um, you know, of course, Facebook and Instagram and um, X or Twitter, okay. <laughs> depending on what you call it. <laughs> um, why don't you d just give us a shout out of those handles? Sure. So they're a little bit different. So Facebook, it's at Open Hearts Foundation. On Instagram, it's uh, at the Open Hearts Foundation. And on Twitter or X, it's at Open Hearts Found. Well, of course, all of those will be in our liner notes as well. But the and thank you. And if you go to Jane Seymour uh, with the blue dot in either Instagram or Facebook, you'll see me talking about the foundations usually and link there directly to the foundation. And, you know, everything I do, if I design jewelry or I do do scarves or I do art, there is always a portion that goes to the foundation. So um, I do that too. That is amazing. It's great work that both of you are doing. Trina Pitchford, thank you so much for being here today. And the Thank fantastic you. Jane Seymour, I'm so <laughs> glad to get this opportunity to hang out with you. Uh, to and we can only aspire to be as active and as positive and as motivated and driven as you are so thank you for your energy here today and it's been a well, lot well thank of you for yours you know you're making a big difference yourself and thank you so much for giving us the privilege of being on your show we're thrilled to have you thank you hey guys thanks for listening to another episode of six degrees with kevin bacon if you want to learn more about the open hearts foundation and all the work that they are up to just head to their website, openheartsfoundation.org, openheartsfoundation.org. You can find all the links in our show notes. And listen, if you like what you hear, please make sure you subscribe to the show and tune into the rest of our episodes. There are some other really, really good ones. You can find Six Degrees with Kevin Bacon on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX 80 live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Thermador at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.